Good morning. And happy Easter. He's risen. For those of you who may not know the tradition, that's like an age-old saying that Christians exchange uh, in remembrance of the resurrection of Christ. He's risen, he's risen indeed. Uh, As you might have guessed from our opening song today, which left my fingers pretty sore. But uh, I'm happy to be here today and I'm happy to see so many of you guys here today. My twins in the back, make sure you say hi to him and his wife before you leave today. (laughs) Uh, An Illinois man. Left, for Chicago, left from Chicago to go to Florida on vacation. Uh, his wife was on a business trip, and so she couldn't join him that day. She was going to join him the next day. And so when he reached his hotel, he decided he's going to uh, send her an email. But he can't remember her email exactly, so he does his best to type it out by memory. And unfortunately, he got... One letter wrong, uh, and directed it instead to an elderly preacher's wife whose husband had passed away the day before. And when the grieving widow checked her email, she took one look at the monitor, she let out a huge scream, and she fainted on sight. And at the sound of her fainting and, and screaming, her family rushed into the room and saw this email on the screen Dear wife, just got checked in. Everything is prepared for your arrival tomorrow. <laughs> Signed, your loving husband. P.S. It sure is hot down here. <laughs> now, if, I, I've never gotten an email like that, thankfully. Um, but what could be more important and what could mean more to us? What could be more significant, more life-changing than to receive a message from the other side, news from the other side? And this is actually what Easter is all about. It's about getting news from the other side, and that news is good news. It's news that changes absolutely everything. And this is the glorious truth of Easter. Jesus Christ is the perfect personified message from the other side of death, in the person, in the flesh. Now, in previous years, I've used Easter Sunday as an opportunity to talk about the historical reliability of the resurrection of Christ, which was a good opportunity for kids to head downstairs to kids' church, I understand. Uh, A couple years ago, I talked about the significance uh, of the crucifixion. Uh, Last year, I think I talked about uh, the significance of some of the things, seven of the things that Jesus said while he was being crucified. But today, I'm just going to assume the truth of the resurrection. I'll just say this. If you have doubts about the resurrection, first of all, you're, you're not alone. But know this, I'll just say this much, it is easily the most heavily scrutinized event in all of human history, but it has withstood the fiercest opposition, academic and otherwise. I could point you in the direction of an entire library of books written in the defense of the resurrection of Christ as being historically uh, reliable, historically accurate, and everything. And if you need that, talk to me after the service. I'd love to point you in the right direction. But I understand if you feel a little bit skeptical about it. Because, yeah, when have we ever witnessed somebody rise from the dead? We haven't. 
And in our age, science trumps all. We want to rely on our senses. We want to rely on what we see, what we can wrap our minds around. And the resurrection is one of those things that leaves some people skeptical. But I'll say this much before we start. I'll say this much. If you're skeptical, you're not alone. Even Thomas was skeptical. And I would say that even a woman named Mary, whose life we're going to be, uh, whose story we're going to be looking at today, I'd say even she was maybe a little bit skeptical just because she was so hopeless. And she didn't see how it could possibly turn around. But the truth is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes absolutely everything. Where, it, where, where a person might be feeling no sense of meaning, no sense of, of purpose, it changes that. And if there was no resurrection, then, then yeah, there would be no hope. There would be no purpose to anything. But I think this is exactly how Mary Magdalene felt as she went to visit the tomb of Christ. Our passage begins by telling us, John chapter 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So the story of Mary's visitation to the tomb of Jesus, it begins in what we would call probably the middle of the night. It's, it's very, very early, before the sun has started to come up. It's still dark outside, and we learn from other gospel narratives, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that a group of women actually went to, uh, to, to visit the tomb of Jesus. Now, this isn't a contradiction, because all John's doing for us here, you know, he's, he's telling us about one woman. Well, th- there were several, okay, but John's just zooming in on this one woman named Mary Magdalene. This is the woman that John is going to focus on for us. Mary had been a devoted follower of Jesus for a long time. He had healed her demonic possession. And by the way, that's not just another term for mental illness, as some people would assume. Uh, I believe that uh, it's real. It, It means exactly what it says. She was possessed by demons. She had a very real spiritual disorder. And Jesus cleansed her. He drove the evil spirits out from her. She'd been there at the cross on Friday to witness the public execution of the man who had cleansed and healed her. And this sets her apart from all the disciples who had abandoned Jesus. Of the 12 disciples, only John ended up back somewhere around the cross to witness the death of Christ. But Mary boldly showed up, unafraid to show her allegiance to her Savior, even when the rest of the world was ready to kill him and was killing him. And so she comes to the tomb while it's still dark outside. And this is a huge theme in John's book, Darkness and Light. Not only was the sky dark, but her soul was overwhelmed with darkness and despair because her Savior was no longer with her. And as she arrives on the scene, she immediately sees that something is very wrong. The stone that was rolled in front of the tomb has been rolled away. It's been taken away from the entrance, opening it up. So Mary's story here begins where our story begins before Christ. Darkness. Hopelessness. Despair. Lacking purpose. Lacking significance. But above all, lacking any sense of hope. But this is where hope invades our reality, invades our world. The love of God 
is a deep, deep love that seeks us even while we're in the darkness. And so we continue. Verses 2 to 10. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple. John never mentions himself. It's a kind of a sign of humility, I think, on his behalf. He never mentions himself, but when you hear the disciple that Jesus loved or the other disciple, that's who John's talking about. He's talking about himself. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So much for humility, right? And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. And so Mary gets, gets there, she sees this empty tomb, the, the open grave, and there are probably two possibilities that enter into her mind. One, maybe the Jews had come and stolen the body of Christ. The people who had sent him before Pontius Pilate. Maybe they had come and stolen the body of Christ thinking that they needed to get to the body before the disciples got to the body to steal it. Number two, maybe some grave robbers had gotten into the tomb to steal you know, anything that might have been valuable in there. Some people who look at the life and the teachings of Jesus are filled with great despair, just like Mary was filled with great despair, just for the, for the same reasons that the rich young ruler was once filled with great despair after an encounter with Jesus. It's because you're not finding, they're not finding what they expected to find. Mary doesn't find what she was expecting to find. Now, I don't know everything that people expect to find when they look at the life of Jesus, but there are several common things that will cause somebody to feel complete despair. Maybe they're, they're looking at Jesus' life as a way to, to figure out how they can be more blessed themselves, or maybe, maybe healed, or they want to manipulate God in some way, and they're figuring out how they can do that through the life of Jesus. People want a God that fits their expectations, but those expectations get in the way. Those expectations will prevent us from seeing the one true God. They prevent us from seeing Him. In this case, Mary expected a sealed tomb. She doesn't realize that this is the work of God because she's got the wrong expectations. So when it wasn't sealed, she runs for help. Enter two of the disciples, John and Simon Peter. And people may, it may look some people may, be, may, may think they're seeking God, but they're looking in all the wrong places. In this case, Simon, Peter, and John, they're looking in the wrong place. They're looking in an empty tomb. Not only do people look in the wrong places, but they look for the wrong reasons. Why are Simon, Peter, and John investigating the tomb? Because they think that the body's been stolen. People seek for the wrong reasons, and they have the wrong expectations, which means they're really not seeking God at all. They're seeking something, but they're not 
truly seeking God. Ultimately, it is Jesus who must seek. He's the one who must seek us. Jesus said that he, would, that he had come to seek and save the lost. He didn't say that He came in order that somebody could seek Him. He told us that He is the seeker. He's the one who must reveal Himself to us. Now before we continue, I just want us to kind of notice how easily Simon Peter and John give up. They look inside the tomb and actually, it's interesting because they come to opposite conclusions as to what has happened. Even though they're seeing the exact same thing. They're seeing the exact same evidence. They come to opposite conclusions. Simon Peter is still confused, but God opens John's eyes. He sees how orderly the tomb is. He remembers what Jesus said about rising again. And he believes. Two people examining the same exact evidence, and they come to opposite conclusions. That's the power of God seeking us and bringing us hope in the darkness, bringing us into the light, giving us ears to hear, giving us eyes to see the glorious truth of the gospel and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so John's telling us that this event stood out to him. He realized in that moment that everything changed for him. Everything changed in that moment. He went from despair to belief. From despair to hope. From life to death. Let's continue. Verses 10 to 17. But Mary stood outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have taken, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned to him and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Mary had returned to the tomb. While the other two disciples, while Simon Peter and John inspected it. Well, at some point while they're there, she she comes up there too. And isn't it interesting that they go home, they, they just look at the evidence, come to their conclusions and leave. But Mary returns to the tomb. Maybe she's hoping that there'll be clues. Maybe she maybe she's hoping that you know there will be somebody, anybody who saw it happened. Saw somebody break in and take the body of Jesus. Maybe somebody will just hear about how distraught she is and she wants them to know where to find her so that they can tell her what they did with the body. We're not exactly told why she returned, but she did. It was probably the only thing that she could think to do in the moment. And as Peter and John leave the scene, she decides to have a look for herself. How interesting that She sees what appears to be two people dressed 
in white in the tomb. She, she hadn't seen them enter in. How did they get in there? Hmm, where did they come from? She apparently has no idea that these are actually angels. Because she, she's not like in awe. She's, she's not, she, it like has no effect on her at all. And that just tells us how emotionally distraught she is here. That's how heavy her tears are. She's not looking, I mean, she notices that they're dressed in white, but she's not really paying close attention. She's not really looking at, at their faces or their expressions or seeing that they're probably rejoicing. Uh, all she knows is that her Savior is gone. And so the angels ask, Woman, why are you weeping? If only she had known what had happened and what was going on, we all know that weeping would be the last thing that she would be doing. Maybe, maybe tears of joy, but not tears of despair. But from her perspective, life was now as empty as the tomb because Jesus meant more to her than anything in the world. And her heart was too filled with grief to bother with wonder or awe. And so Mary says something very interesting. She says, they have taken away my Lord. She doesn't say they have taken away a Lord or the Lord. No, this is personal for her. My Lord. They have taken away my Lord, who is the Lord, by the way. But it's personal. And suddenly this image catches her attention out of the corner of her eye, and she thinks, you know, it's, it's the gardener. And if anybody uh, might know what happened with the body here, I mean, if the gardener's doing his job, he should know what happened with the body. So she's wondering if the gardener can tell her. But this is not a gardener. This is Jesus. But she doesn't recognize him. Isn't that interesting that she, she doesn't recognize him? And this is something that actually happened frequently with Jesus in his encounters with his disciples after the resurrection. He would blind them or prevent them from recognizing exactly who he was until he wanted to be recognized. And so when he asks why she's crying and whom she's seeking, she says, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I, I will take him away. And, and this is so ridiculous that it's, that it's beautiful, really. She's so stricken by grief because she loved her Lord so dearly. That, that's beautiful. But she, you know, she, she thinks this gardener is going to have some information. And uh, we see a glimpse of just such a, a servant's heart here when she offers to do what's really r- ridiculously impossible, and that is haul the body of Jesus herself. This woman, I mean, they got wrapped with over 100 pounds worth of linens and spices and things like that. That alone would be probably too much for her to carry. Add a body on top of that. There's no way that she would have been able to do it. But she loves Jesus, and so she's willing to at least try. If the gardener will just tell her where the body of her Lord is. And so what we see here is that while Mary still kind of has the wrong mindset, she's still thinking he's not resurrected, he's been stolen, his body's been stolen. So she's got the wrong mindset, the wrong expectations. She does have the right attitude. She's persistent. She doesn't just give up. The disciples headed home, she headed back to the tomb. She's willing to humbly ask for help. She's willing to do anything for Jesus, even the impossible. 
but she would never find him on her own. No matter how hard she looked, she was never going to find him on her own. He had to be the one to come to her. He had to be the one to seek her. He had to be the one to reveal himself to her, to open her eyes so that she could see him for who he was. And that's exactly what he does. And so Jesus says to her, Mary. Just Mary. And in that moment, Jesus opens her ears allowing her to recognize his voice, which, by the way, should remind us of something that Jesus taught. He taught that his sheep will know his voice. In John chapter 10, verse 3, uh, Jesus said of, of a, a shepherd's relationship to his sheep, he said, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And then in chapter 10, verse 27, he applies that principle to himself, saying, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. And so this scene is a picture of that reality. And in this moment, Jesus opens her ears. He opens her eyes, allowing her to see him, to recognize him for who he is. He is the risen Savior who has conquered the grave. Now don't get too caught up on the fact, and people get caught up on this all the time, that Jesus says, don't cling to me. People get so weirded out about that. Like, Okay, he wasn't really touchable, or you know, he was just like a spirit, and you couldn't touch him. Or I've heard all kinds of theories, and they're all kind of silly. But this is not mysterious. This is not mystical. This is practical. It's not that she physically was unable to touch him. Of course, she could. Thomas did. But Jesus knew something that she didn't know, and that is that he wasn't there to stay in the flesh on earth, for good. He had other business to attend to. He would be with her forever, but in a different way than he was before. Jesus was, in essence, saying to her, the only way that you can be with me after these next 40 days here on earth will be to let me go. So don't cling too tightly to my body, or you're going to miss out on something better. What is that something better? It's a life of constantly walking with Jesus, walking in the presence of Jesus, being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, Mary, the danger here was that Mary's desire to, to cling to him, to grab a hold of him and physically hold on to him was so overpowering that she would forget to cling spiritually to him. The risk was that she would be so inclined to cling and hold that she would compromise her ability to just trust and obey. And when you put it that way, I think a lot of us have the same problem that Mary had. We want what we can touch. We want what we can empirically understand by our, you know, by our experience, understand and wrap our minds around. But that can very easily lessen or compromise our inclination and our willingness to simply believe, trust, and obey. See, we're tempted to keep Jesus inside a little box that keeps him simple, that keeps him predictable, that keeps him completely understandable. And it's a box that we usually leave no room for mystery in, and therefore it requires as little faith as possible. In other words, we all struggle with the temptation to go to a place 
where we don't have to live by that much faith. We just want to make God understandable. We want Him to meet our expectations. But Mary's desire to touch and cling was stronger than her desire to trust at this point. She wanted what she could see. She wanted what she could cling to and hold on to, not what she wanted to have faith in. And that's why Jesus instructs her specifically, do not cling to me. But we need to see that part of the reason he wanted her to not cling to him was because he had other things to do. He says, don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But then he gives her a positive. He, he, he says, don't do this, but then he says, do this. Let's continue. 17b to 18. Don't cling to me, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So Jesus is speaking here in a way that is unlike any way he has ever spoken before. He had referred to the Father and to uh, my Father, but now he says, my Father and your Father. My God and your God. See, the work that he accomplished on Calvary, bearing the wrath of God upon sin, made this possible. This is the fruit of the work that was accomplished that day on the cross. These are things that Jesus never could have said apart from the cross. So this is a new relationship to God, accomplished in Christ. And her response to this relationship is obedience. He gives her an instruction, and she does it. She leaves immediately to tell others about him. And that's only natural, by the way. You know, people make such a big deal out of evangelism and, you know, try to, try to make it something that it's not. The truth is we naturally love to talk about the things and the people that we love. And so it just comes up in conversation. It just comes up. We tell people what we love. And the skepticism of others doesn't hinder the person who is convinced, who believes, and who loves the Lord. Now, maybe today you've heard the Good Shepherd calling your name for the first time. Maybe today, as we've gone through this narrative, like Mary, you're starting to see Jesus in a way that you had never expected, in a way that you have never seen him before. And I'll just say this. If you have never trusted in Jesus, please, please see this amazing gift of salvation laid out before you. Please see this good news from the other side laid out before you in the person of Jesus Christ. Listen for his voice and respond in belief and obedience to him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, God often calls his people to do things that feel so much like walking a tightrope with no safety net. Anybody see that guy that walked across the Grand Canyon with no safety net? Faith ever feel like that? Or, or jumping into to thin air when you have no idea what's down below? Uh, that's how it's supposed to be sometimes. God knows what He's doing. God wants His people to grow in their trust for Him. And sometimes, yeah, it can feel like walking a tightrope with no safety net. Sometimes it can feel like jumping into a... Who knows what, without being able to know what's below. But the resurrection proves that we can trust him when he calls us to do that. 
The, res- the resurrection proves that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. His resurrection proves that that statement is true. The resurrection proves that God is faithful to his promises. The resurrection proves that there is complete forgiveness of sins in Christ. If there was even one sin that Jesus was unable to forgive, his body would still be in the grave, just like every other religious leader in history. The resurrection proves that all is forgiven for his people by faith. So wherever you are in your life this morning, know this. God can find you. God can meet you right where you are. There is nothing that is impossible for him. If he overcame death, what challenge that you're facing today could he not see you through? This is the news that changes everything. In the resurrection of our Lord, his people have forgiveness of sins. In the resurrection of our Lord, his people have assurance of their justification with God. In the resurrection of our Lord, his people have the power and the freedom and the ability to live for God, to live a life that's pleasing to God. In the resurrection of our Lord, his people have hope for an eternal destiny in his presence. So come to him today. And see Him in a way that you have maybe never seen Him before. Come to Him and believe. Come to Him and surrender your life to Him. Come to Him and be obedient unto Him. Come to Him. Come to Him and find the greatest hope in the universe. He's risen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You. For your faithfulness, we thank you, Lord, that your resurrection proves that you are who you claim to be, that you are the one true God in the flesh who bore the wrath of God for our sins and took our sins upon you, giving us your righteousness in a place, the only place at the cross where we can exchange despair for hope, where we can exchange death for life. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for being the perfect sacrifice on our behalf, for taking the wrath that we deserved upon yourself so that we can belong to you and so that we can live for you. Teach us to do that, Lord, in a way that glorifies you, more and more so in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing. If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org, and you can make a donation on the right-hand side by clicking on the support box. Again, we do rely on your support, and we thank you so much for your financial participation in this ministry, which enables us to continue in our mission of teaching timeless truths in these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today, and keep growing closer 
to Jesus. Take me deeper.